Hello, everyone. Welcome to Collision's YYC Beyond the Echo. I'm your host, Tyler Chisholm. Thank you for joining me today for another good old-fashioned chat. Today's show is brought to you in partnership with Clearmotive Marketing. Thank you to my business partner, Chad Croker, and the entire team who worked tirelessly behind the scenes to make this show a reality. As a founding partner at Clearmotive, I'm excited to announce the official launch of our industrial marketing system. As a company with 15 plus years of experience with a variety of clients in nearly every sector, we identified that industrial manufacturing companies were underserved. You have unique needs, and we have developed a unique skill set to help you succeed. If you build and sell a product that helps other companies, we have developed an industrial marketing system to get your highest priority product in front of your ideal customer profile in less than eight weeks. Gardner recently reported that your buyers are 87% of the way through their buying process before contacting your company directly. That means it's never been more critical to apply the right marketing process to create and close more deals. Our three-stage industrial marketing system helps you shorten your sales cycle by using modern marketing tactics designed specifically for your industry and more importantly, for the way your clients like to buy. Stop sitting on the sidelines wondering which part of your marketing is working and put a system in place that makes it easy for your most valuable prospects to find you and get excited about your solution to their challenges. To find out more about what ClearMotive's industrial marketing system can do for you, please check us out at www.clearmotive.ca slash IMS, or better yet, open up your email and contact me directly at tyler at clearmotive.ca, T-Y-L-E-R. I'm excited to chat with you and put a plan in place to get your most valuable leads contacting you and not your competitors. Hello and a warm collisions beyond the echo. Welcome to Mr. Jonathan Leapoth. How are you, Jonathan? I'm great. Thanks so much for having me, Tyler. Good chat with you, man. Uh, we had a you know again small world and got connected and then found out we actually know some of the same people. I love it. Uh, I, I, you are calling in from Regina, so I want to be clear. Like big small town does extenuate. I think extend across Canada. I've certainly found. But you are the lead analyst at the Broad Street Bowl. So. Like I like to do with everybody, hey, we're just about to jump into an elevator. We got 30 floors. Tell me what the Broad Street Bulls are all about, Jonathan. For sure. Yeah. So uh, Broad Street Bulls, we are a small VC fund based in Regina. We focus on the prairies with a bit of a bias to Saskatchewan. And our goal is to fund the very best founders and tech ideas based on the prairies, uh, based on the prairies and, and uh, looking to expand beyond. So that's, uh, that's what we like to bring to the table. We got a small, nimble team and uh, over three dozen investors behind us. And we love to bring the network and help founders get to the next stage with some capital and some mentorship. Nice. Well, dude, I think we still got 10 floors to go. That's nice. Nicely done, Perfect. my friend. <laughs> I love the, eleva- the good old elevator speech. How long have you, how, how you guys been around? So the fund, actually, as of this October now, we, the fund itself has been around for three years. And uh, we started out with a really small fund. Uh, it was almost organized like an investment club. And then okay. that was around for, for just over a year. And then at the beginning of 2020, we closed our fund two uh, right in January 2020, right before the pandemic took off. And so we've been operating in our fund two since then. And how many, so oh, I want to talk about you a little bit. You said, you know, three, three dozen investors behind the scenes. How many companies have you guys, or how many ventures, companies, how, how many opportunities have you guys invested in so far? 17 so far. 17 companies, a few of those we've done multiple checks in by now. Um, we, uh, we follow a, a seed fund model where we have some capital that we allocate towards our first checks into a company. And then we have certain amount of reserves that we like to follow on with uh, once a company hits the next stage. Okay, nice. So just give me some, like, you know, a little bit, maybe your investor thesis or your kind of criteria when you look at companies, because I do appreciate you guys are in early stage rounds. Mm-hmm. See, it's like really, really raw startup, and we're all, and you guys are also in Regina, which I think also plays a little bit different. And I've had some chats with other people from that market. So, well, before we get into kind of the differences and what you see happening in your market versus maybe going a little bit more west into 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 Alberta, well, so who would be who would make up that seventeen in terms of kind of where they're at or the evolution of them as organizations? Yeah, we got a pretty diverse portfolio in terms of stage and also industry. Uh, we are industry agnostic. We target companies that I'll say are pre-Series A. So companies that are in the pre-seed, seed kind of area. So if you're raising really under like $2 million, we'll take a look at the deal. Uh, so, and that's a pretty broad kind of subset of companies, like the, the spectrum of companies that's even in there is, is pretty massive. So the way that I like to think about it is I'll divide it between what I'll call is like for semantic purposes, I'll call like pre-seed where you're like not quite product market fit. Like maybe you have MVP, maybe you have a few customers. You're just trying to starting to get the, the sales funnel pipeline kind of active. Uh, and then 
I'd say seed is kind of where you have, you know, maybe 200, 250, 300K um, in terms of annual revenue. And you're able to, you have some sense of where you're going to be able to put capital, uh, hire more onto your team, and then scale up from there. So for semantic purposes, I'll kind of think of the pre-seed and seed as those two markets. Um, and in terms of fitting the bill, uh, really, we're we're looking for, we'll, we'll jump into deals that others are leading. So we, in the seed stage, so if another funder, we love to work with other funders kind of across the prairies and even a bit outside too, uh, where they'll read the, lead the round, they'll be looking for 100 or, or 1.5 million. Maybe they're putting in a million of that and we'll hop in on the round with them. Uh, as for the pre-seed, sometimes we'll even lead deals where we're looking for really just at that stage, it's the founder and the market. Who is the person that's starting this? Where are they taking that idea? How much, how much have they kind of put into that plan? And of course, like how big is this going to get? Where is this market headed? And so I like to say that the way that I'll put it is you want ambition for a billion, but discipline for a thousand, right? So it's something that has that huge billion market, but is the 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 person it's themselves are focused on the execution of who are my first thousand customers or first thousand dollars that I that I can get in the door. So curious, I, I, thank you. You you led right into my next question so well. When you look at some of these deals and you're looking at someone's did a pre-seed and a seed round, are you guys looking for that like yeah man we want a unicorn we want to show we we believe we're going to invest in the companies that are going to get there or are you also looking to have a mix of organizations that you know what maybe they're not going to hit the billion but it doesn't mean they're not going to be good solid companies. Like, how much is that a criteria for you guys at that early stage? Yeah, that's such a good question. I think um, the, the the spectrum there too, in terms of I, I'll think of that as like the risk reward spectrum uh, of of early stage deals, right? Like, you can have a lot of deals that uh, we also I mentioned we worked with other VCs. Well, we work a lot too with other angel investors, and a lot of those angel investors like to stay in a lane of. Uh, hardware or or maybe like a tech enabled business or a direct to consumer business that most like most VCs will will um, especially in bigger markets won't typically look at unless they have a specific thesis on a very specific industry or type of company um, and and then uh, I, I also think of like other funders who are looking at maybe Saskatchewan or Alberta based businesses. And they're looking for only those companies that either have like massive network effects or a pure B2B SaaS or right. The, the, what typically is like the really highly scalable companies for us, um, because we're so focused on the prairies for us to capture what I think are, are the best founders in in any scalable market, we're kind of all across that spectrum. Uh, and we like to, I, I'll think of it as like, we we're diversified across both like that risk reward spectrum, as well as industry, as well as ge geography. Um, so that's a, that's a, that your question actually I'll say is like, we're diversified across that axis as well. So we're in companies that I would call like tech enabled uh, D2C brands, uh, all the way to pure B2C enterprise SaaS. So all the way kind of a, a, along that spectrum where we are looking for companies, as I mentioned briefly in the elevator pitch, what I'll say is, is absolutely a criteria is something that will scale way beyond the prairies. We want to look at something that isn't just kind of a, a, a niche of like selling just to customers here. We want to see like, can you sell outside? Can you sell uh, to maybe other um other jurisdictions, especially for companies that might be um, limited to that or limited to how they sell, that's uh, that's definitely a a factor that we look at. I really appreciate it. So market potential, like you're yes. not only limited to your backyard, is going to be a big criteria for you guys. Like it, it can be in a variety of sectors, but that's one of the criteria that needs to be present, or you're not going to see that uplift. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that too, I think goes back to like, again, semantics, but the way that I would think about the difference between like a pre-seed and a seed company is like pre-seed is like you can sell to like people that are maybe within your network or just adjacent to your network that they tend to be local. And then seed companies are ones that start to figure out that formula outside. And and, and you see, a, I, I see a big shift in like quality on deals when, when well, I see the difference between a company that's been able to um, network uh, outside of their immediate network or, or not. Well, that immediately starts to show you that the, 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 the person who doesn't know you who, and who has never met you also finds value in what you're offering. And that Absolutely. Right there. Yeah. Uh, curious, for just, again, always love to, the whole, the whole point of this series of talking with VCs in early stage and is also having to give, to give the general public or the people that are involved that might be coming to talk to you an idea of how it works. When you're dealing with, like for you guys in a pre-seed or a seed round or even at that angel level, 
Is there also kind of a predetermined criteria of like we want to be in and out in a couple of years or we want to see this kind of return for us over a period of time? Because again, all deals maybe look good when you first get involved, but sometimes they stretch out and they take a little bit longer. Do you guys have like a window that you look for in terms of like throw some guardrails up around timeline? Yeah, absolutely. We, we do have a very long time horizon. We're looking at, at uh, up to really 10 years if we're thinking of the full lifetime of the fund. Um, so we're approaching end of, of year two. So we'll, we'll, we'll chat again, I'm sure, in eight years and we yes, can we kind of debrief everything. Yeah, on it. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, that would I, that's what I'd say kind of is, is the scope of, of um, I, I'd say most early stage funds will share that similar thing. But no, we're not trying to get like a quick exit on, on a company in two to three years. Some of the companies that we invest in might have that time horizon. Uh, and I would just see that as another dimension of, di of diversification in our portfolio. Fair enough. It gets to be a bit of a, like, you've got people in different lanes, right? You don't want everyone on the same lane and the same horizon. Of totally. And you need funding. You mentioned earlier about collaboration, and I've had a lot of other guests on that have, you know, people that you know that talk about, you know, like going in on deals or, you know, like being the lead funder on a deal, which really then kind of provides proof of concept and then other funders will come in. How much collaboration is going on out there right now? Is it, is it picking up? Like, are you seeing more and more groups like yourself getting networked together and sharing that deal flow and sharing the opportunity to kind of create, create bigger lifts for these companies versus you yeah. having to take the whole lift yourselves? Yeah, absolutely. And actually, you totally nailed it in terms of like the reasoning behind some of the collaboration that happens. And, and this is what I've heard, too, in much more developed markets um, for venture capital is you you hear about, uh, I would say, like at the later stages, it gets competitive of 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 bigger funders that just want to take the whole deal. And it's very competitive between uh, investors once you hit like Series A, Series B, Series C, some big companies that are going really, really fast. Like they'll want to get in and close the deal like as soon as possible and nobody else can kind of take take their part of the pie. Uh, whereas the really early stages, because it is so much riskier, uh, like you said, we we like to diversify the, the risk even just amongst investors. Um, and we know that just... Uh, spreading out essentially like the due diligence or the thought process and being able to like jump through a company and, and kind of assess like what, what is going to work and some of the risks that might come about that too. Um, we love to diversify that across other investors. And what also happens is once you also bring more of like thought diversity around the table from uh, the the investor group, then that also leads to you know, the opportunity to network with more investors for the next round or uh, to network with maybe sales targets or people who you could hire like any any of those dimensions that really push a company forward into the next stage of 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 growth and of of being a, a fast growing company uh those all of those things all get bigger and better and easier when you start to bring on more people at the early stage um but that's so that's that's absolutely kind of uh i would say to answer your question it, more briefly yes there's definitely collaboration i love working with a lot of the co-investors in in western canada and and you get this sense of like collaborative competition of everyone like trying to bring kind of raise the bar in, in, in terms of funding companies here I, 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 I'm happy to hear you say that because that's certainly the vibe that I've gotten and I feel because like you talked about mature versus less mature markets we'll talk about even Regina versus you know Calgary but if you talk about Western Canada this is a less mature market than other parts of North America for sure so us being able to lift us lift everyone up and get more exits and get more wins just creates a bigger pool for, for everybody question how much do you guys get involved with the you know, you mentioned about having different skills and different you know, viewpoints and experiences at the table. When you guys are investing in, you know, out of these 17 companies that you've invested in so far, opportunities, how involved do you get in supporting them with their business? Like money is one thing and it's a very important thing, but skills, introductions, networking, you know, hey, don't step over there. There's a landmine, step over here just through experience. Is that a big factor for you guys or is it more we invest and we stay a little bit hands off unless they need us? Like how, how what does that model look like for you guys? Yeah, good question too. I'd say that's a, that's a big part of like the evolution of us as well. Like we're we're also um we like I said we've been around for 3 for 3 years and and uh, I I as the lead analyst, I I work with we have a managing partner and also the the president of the fund. And between the two of them, they have lots of experience in in other businesses, many of them being traditional businesses uh, and couple in in tech software as well. Uh, so I'd say that a lot of the 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 ways that we get hands on, especially early on, is specifically around governance and being able to apply like a lot of their knowledge and a lot of their experience in governing and running companies. And a lot of the ways that you might get tripped up with uh, boards, running met like tracking metrics. Um, it, these are these are such they these are things that 
um, are very daunting to early stage founders and they know that they'll have to worry about them one day. And so these are the types of things that I, I would say at the start, we, um, we, we were more hands off and we wanted to more give the capital and, and trust the, the founder. Uh, but now over the course of the past three years, we've become, I'd say, increasingly involved with the investments that we've made and even made an effort to, when we're making investment decisions, deciding at the time, you know, what can we contribute? How are we going to work with them? And making that a part of the agreement right when we're getting to know the the uh, founder and uh, and kind of closing the deal with them. So it's definitely an iterative process even for us. And uh, even just recently, we've been more active in terms of helping them uh, measure the important parts of the business, either for, uh, you know, to prepare for a future financing round or even just to understand their business better. Because we, what we realize is like, you can only manage what you measure and, and that helps both internally and externally. Is that a factor for you when you start looking, this is for all the, uh, the people out there that might be looking to call you afterwards. How much is, you know, the willingness of those founders to collaborate? And I've had a few other guests on the show that have said, you like, when you've got the individuals that won't, don't want to listen and believe they have all the answers, Ooh, that might be that might be risky because just by just by the nature of, of evolving a company from a startup, you don't have all the answers. It's almost impossible. But I've had a few other people in your seat say, "Yeah, that's a factor for us," and they've maybe said it online and offline. Of like, if that if that individual is not willing to have like real conversations about how to make things better that maybe weren't their ideas, we kind of shy we shy away from those deals. Yeah. So I'll actually I'll go back to what I was saying earlier in terms of like what we look for. Uh, at for across pre-seed and seed is like number one is is founder and founding team and then number two is obviously like market that they're in and all of the things that come around the market and then you know once you're kind of at that seed stage two we could we have a way to measure I'd say both of those things in terms of like early metrics but what I'll say is like um, I'll list those things in order especially because the founder portion of that is so much greater than I'd say like any other factor at the early stage. And the coachability of the founder is a, a huge thing that we're measuring and tracking for um, and want to know that we can trust and uh, that we can trust uh, the founder to, you know, adapt and iterate on, on, on the business. As, as you said, um, you know, there's so many things that you can't know at the early stage. And, what we're really, what what I really love to see is a founder that is confident uh, more in their ability to learn that uh, than it, than in in than confident in like what they think they know today. Right? It's somebody that really um, understands the market. I'd say more than like the average person who would want to maybe found a company in this industry. They maybe come with some experience, or they come with a network, or they come with some what I'll call like. Uh, a, a slight, maybe unfair advantage to to get their foot in the door there, uh, but we don't fully rely on that because there's many, many great uh, analogs of companies that uh, come through and and just outwork everyone. They know how to learn fast, iterate quickly, and get on to uh, ex- what to basically go through all the steps that they need to take to know what they need to do, uh, and and having that process mindset is is a big part of what we're looking for it's hard to test for but it's what we're looking for yeah it's hard to test for but you, you but it shows up really quick if it's not there you know what i mean like it's one of absolutely those that, yeah yeah it's hard it's, it's a good old like it's hard to find it in an interview but once you start working on a project together you all find out who's who in the zoo real really really quickly curious i know you just came off we we're chatting on we were chatting before we hit the big record button uh, that you just came off a bit of a road trip and you were in Alberta. So part of the show is also going, hey, so you're on the outside looking in and you know, you're in Regina, which you've said is, you know, is it at a different pace and a different place of where Alberta is or Calgary or Edmonton? We'll just talk about you know, this ecosystem versus that one. What did you notice? What are some of the differences that you see? You know, pluses, minuses. It's more just differences. It's not. It's not. It's not what's wrong or right. But I'm always curious of like kind of what the Calgary ecosystem looks like from the outside. Yeah, great. Uh, I, I had a great time uh, going to Alberta a few weeks ago. I got a chance to meet with uh, a lot of other investors, a few companies, founders, uh, both companies that we, actually, this is great. We got to, I got to meet for the very first time, some founders and uh, companies that we invested in for a year plus that we'd never met in person before. Yeah, it was fantastic. 
Uh, actually, <laughs> really funny too, Tyler. I got the chance to. I, I used your podcast. You had you had talked with a lot of the other investors that I was meeting That's with. Awesome. So I got a chance to. I used uh, Collisions here to study up and and learn a bit about the people I was about to meet. So that was. Uh, That's why I put it out there, just for things. Great like experience. That. Thanks for sharing that, man. That's awesome. <laughs> I that. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I. I actually, so when I was there, what, one of the, some of the biggest things that I learned in terms of like ecosystem wise is yes, Alberta is just that much bigger than Saskatchewan when it comes to like the degree of capital and also just people that are working in this. Um, I, I would say that that was one, you know, like Regina, for example, is a fifth of the size of uh, both Calgary and Edmonton uh, on their own. So it, it, these are just totally different degrees of um, I'd say I'd say orders of magnitude of but uh, of very similar problems being you know if you look at even uh, Alberta or or Saskatchewan or Manitoba or or a lot of these ecosystems here that are are new but growing very quickly um, we have the challenge of not only attracting capital into what seems like a very high risk market for uh, what I would say the capital is used to going into in these markets but also. Uh, the riskiness of like the job setting for people to like join startups, right? That's a whole other risk factor. And the way that I like to uh, think about these is like, these are like generations of risk takers. And I'll, I'm using the word risk taker very broadly because I think that defines like people who are going to invest in like crazy risky businesses when, you know, they're they're used to putting their capital into other things in these markets uh, to people who feel like they can leave their security of their job to found something really crazy uh, to people who feel like they can leave a, a job at, at um, maybe a company that's been around for a hundred years to join a startup that's been around for uh, you know ten months. So it, all of these generations of risk takers, the more that you see go through that and exit and and see some success, uh, they're going to come back with that 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 knowledge, that experience, and a bit of that chip on their shoulder to show like you know we're doing that uh, in in Alberta, we're doing that in Saskatchewan. And I noticed that the that that iterative cycle um you know the prairies i think as a whole and, and again i i am speaking more towards manitoba or sorry to more towards saskatchewan and alberta and less to manitoba right now uh but the, those problems are the same uh between these two ecosystems uh it's just a different order of magnitude and uh what the but the other thing on the on more of the positive side of that is the recognition that i got by going to alberta was that a lot of people there understand that. They understand that, well, the prairies as a whole have these similar uh, growing ecosystem, like growing pains. Um, and as the most populous and maybe fastest growing of the three prairie provinces, they feel this leadership position, but also this collaborative leadership uh, position where I, I get the sense that a lot of people that I met with and, and I think are adjacent to them want to find ways to kind of win as the prairies. And that was a really encouraging takeaway that I had from that. That's great, because I think about companies. No, that's really positive to hear that. Thanks. Good spin. I'm like, yeah, yes, we're all having growing pains, but let's talk about the positive. Nothing unites like a common foe. And if we're all fighting, if we're all kind of trudging through the same challenges, then that's a very unifying process. Do you see companies in, in Saskatchewan coming to Alberta to look for, like, does it, are we borderless when it comes down to, like, I'm a, in my pre-seed round, Maybe my seed round, but I would say those would probably be very different. If I'm pre-seed, I'm probably going to be looking for investors in my immediate ecosystem, just like my customers. So does that kind of also scale with where you are in your, like, it feels like it correlates. Yeah, actually, that's a, a I think a great way to put that is kind of borderless. I, I think um, that in terms of, again, how capital is allocated and how uh, people look within their networks to uh, maybe sell or, or find talent to hire, uh, I definitely say that it is... Uh, I, I don't know if it's ubiquitous as much as I would say it's definitely, um, there are fewer barriers between these three prairie provinces than there would be as soon as you hop outside of them. And uh, I think in, in any ways that we can see, you know, the networks of people within these prairie provinces increasing outside, um, I, I'd say we all win. But back to the kind of the original question in terms of like, finding investors and, and maybe finding customers too. Uh, I, I definitely see that, that as soon, if like, I think you could raise, you know, capital off of, uh, from early stage investors in these 
and focus on these prairie provinces. Um, and for the most part, again, the, the challenges, the growing pains, all the things that you're kind of pitching to will be similar. As soon as you go past that, you're looking at completely different net networks. You're, this is, you're talking now like a whole like sales process of, of raising capital. And this is, a, I, I, this is a whole other way to think about fundraising that I, I think a lot of founders, like once they get to a certain stage, have to go through that, um, that process. Uh, to recognize that like, okay, I'm, I'm at a spot where I got to raise like $5 million. I need to know exactly who my target investor is. And I need to, you know, focus on instead of like casting a really wide net, let's focus on like five, 10 people that are, they're all outside of this ecosystem. Um, it, and, and I need to do a really focused job on, on getting them interested in me. Uh, and that has to happen less. So I think when you're looking just even like from Saskatchewan into Alberta, for example. Fair enough. Are you seeing more outside capital coming into the province? Like, are we starting are the proverbial we now? Let's talk about this as a collective. Are we starting to get a little bit more on the on the radar of other like of, of money coming out of whether it's out of Vancouver or Montreal? South of the border, obviously, is, is the big one where it's a, can be a much more mature market, especially for the tech and some of the startup ecosystem. Are, are you starting to see more money coming in? But is and also is it at those higher echelons, like not necessarily in the pre-seed seed round? Yeah, definitely not at the early stages yet. Um, I would love to see more of that. I think that'll take time to really see a strong pipeline of deal flow at the later stages before before those outside funders will really start to uh, have eyes here. But I, I, I definitely have seen, what I'll say is I'll, I've seen an uptick in interest uh, from those outside funders to see deal flow coming out of here. And there's a lot of analogs of, of founders who've done a great job of, like I mentioned, like, executing i think on that sales process to to network outside of the ecosystem and and be able to raise a, a large amount of money now um i think what's also going to be uh, interesting to see in the next uh, what i'll say is few years these uh, anecdotally as well and, and no numbers behind this but anecdotally um I, i've heard of people who uh maybe are they're based here and they're focused on the prairies, but they're able to raise capital from like other backers outside of the ecosystem. So these aren't investors that are necessarily looking directly at deals or leading deals and, and, and meeting with founders to make investments, but they're investing in people that are here and doing that. Um, and, and there's maybe a bit more of that money that's interested in the ecosystem, uh, more passive money, I would say than, than active right now, but hopefully, hopefully we can see kind of that, that bridge in, in capital, um, lows over the next little bit well it's interesting it's good good segue again two two guys that that i know that you know mark mitchell and uh, brian slocko from uh, metiquity and then from uh, mark from red thread uh, both they talked about on the show about democratization of investing and like creating some more access are you seeing that like you said you guys have three dozen investors just curious and again not numbers or however specific you want to get like what does that range like if someone's got a hundred grand to invest is there a place for them at the table or, you know, there's always, I think there's been a bit of this illusion, certainly portrayed by popular media, the big VC firms and this black box of invisibility around what happens there. I feel like that's coming down and certainly that yeah, was Brian's position. Mark had something similar to say, what are you seeing like, like that? And what are your thoughts on that trend? Yeah, I think, especially in the prairies, I actually think that that's a, a huge, uh, I would say like benefit is, uh, because we're up and coming, you can get uh, into a fund like ours and to, or into other funds at that lower dollar uh, value. And, and even um, like you, you threw out a hundred thousand, I can tell you right now, it would, that would be, that's a, a great check size to be like in a fund. Um, and that's, I think more for like the investor who has the capital, but not necessarily the time that wants to be active uh, as an angel, for example. Right, uh, because then you get the benefit if you if you have a hundred thousand dollars, for example, and and actually um, like the, the book uh, uh, the book Angel um, by uh, Jason Calcanis, I'll, I'll throw it as a recommendation for uh, in terms of like thinking about like allocating a percentage of net worth into angel investing and and even just like the spectrum of angel investing beyond that. Uh, he breaks down the numbers in that book in terms of like, okay, if you have so much capital, you know, how you can break into as an angel investor. Now think about all of that. But if you take that capital, you can give that to an, an, a fund and an investor that's going to do that work. And then you don't, you can actually have that kind of same uh, portfolio construction, but it's, it's passive. Um, 
for for you it's i mean it's active it's actively managed but but for the angel yeah, investor themselves portfolio theory and going yeah look at all Which, your, everything from your super safes to your like where you know is it five percent ten percent what's your allotment going to be into that and absolutely yeah yeah and, but interesting, it, and it, but now that you've got more of these actively managed groups like yourselves and some of the ones that are popping up over the last couple of years that I'm really seeing start to take hold, it just feels so much more accessible than it did a couple of years. Yes, ago. yeah, and I think that's exactly that's exactly um, going to be the outcome of uh, having funders like us and having other funds at the table. Is now you have a spot for somebody to park their capital where maybe they don't have the time to actively manage it, um, but they still want to be a part of it. And, and even, so I, I definitely, I think that that's a, a, a big benefit um, of, like you said, the democratization and a hundred thousand dollars will take you a long way uh, just to get started. Uh, so it, it, there's even 50,000, to be honest, you could, you could do a lot with um, at, at the early stages if you were uh, really picky and, and uh, follow, follow the advice of Angel or decide to give it to a fund like ours or someone else's that uh, is going to do all of the work to kind of learn that because it is it is definitely that is one experience that I've I've seen as many angels who will want to get into it. Some love the process and want to meet founders and uh, want to do that actively, and some just go, I, I love the premise of this, but it's hard to uh, do this on my own. It's it's not something that necessarily I want to spend my time on. So that uh, that is where the democratization comes in, where that person can still put their money into this. Well, and I do appreciate it, not to be taken lightly. Like it is risky, and it does take a lot of research, and we're not everyone's geared for that. But that used to be that if you weren't geared for that, how would you get access to it? And I really like that concept. So just to be clear, at this point, if I was going to get into your fund, I want to put 50, 50 grand in. We'll just pick that number. I would still need to be an accredited investor to participate. Yeah, that's correct. In Alberta and Saskatchewan, we have the self-accreditation now. So there's a, a self-certified um, accredited investor, which uh, broadens, yeah, it broadens the goalposts a little bit in terms of how uh, investors can can uh, be selected into being a, an accredited investor. Uh, but yes, we we aren't a, a retail fund, and there's there's a big difference, a very very large difference between uh, what would be like a private fund um, uh, that that has to sell to accredited um, or a retail fund. Okay. And I think that's, you know, like any opportunity, you still need to do your research and there is risk attached. And, you know, what I would hate to see is that this becomes so accessible that people without the right information then kind of get burned and they lose their hard-earned money. And I don't want to, we all make our own decisions, but I know that there are checks and measures in place that kind of, I think, feel sometimes like it holds people back. But I know there's good intentions behind some of those, some of those, th those criteria. Yeah. And actually, I'll go back to, again, recommending that, that book, uh, Angel, uh, in case anyone is interested in, in understanding kind of how portfolio allocation works when it comes to angel investing and thinking about uh, how to think about the, the portfolio. Um, the book is very focused on how to be an angel yourself. But if you think about it again, in terms of like that amount of capital, allocating it into kind of the, the amount of risk, he's also, uh, Jason Calcanis is also very vocal in terms of like uh, making this more accessible uh, for people who want to only put 10,000, 15,000 in and are maybe very educated in the, in startup, uh, in startups and in tech and things like this, but don't quite hit accreditation standards or whatever that might look like. So it, it is a good read for that, from that perspective. Angel. And you said, uh, I'm typing, I'm literally typing it into my browser so I can buy it after I get off. Perfect. <laughs> I get off the phone with you, but, but for anyone who's listening, cause I think I have some people making notes now. So it's angel by Jason. Uh, angel investing. Yeah. Oh, just yeah. called angel investing. Yeah. Angel investing. By Jason Calacanis. Yeah. All right. All right. It's now locked into my browser. So there's a challenge, though. I know I listen to lots of podcasts. You're listening, and you're like, "Oh man, I want to remember that. Where do I write this down? Where do I like audio note note myself?" No, I appreciate a good recommendation like that, and I do encourage people to you know do, do your research, do your reading, go go down a little bit of a rabbit hole and see, see what you can find. So curious, from you look at the two provinces, you know, any, any difference do you see, and any position on kind of government or regulatory or programs in place that are really supporting, you know, startups? Are you, are you seeing anything that's really working from your perspective that's really contributing to setting companies up to be better, better positioned in the pre-seed and seed rounds? Or is there anything that needs to be in place or, or even better, anything that needs to be taken out of the way? This is a great, great question. So the, the, the first thing that comes to mind, the biggest differences I would say 
between Alberta and Saskatchewan and the way that those gov- the governments have approached um, essentially fostering, I would say, the startup ecosystem it, with capital is in Saskatchewan here, we have a tax credit program. So it's, it's a very aggressive tax credit program. It's 45% uh, on uh, the dollars that are invested by a Saskatchewan-based investor that are that invest in a technology, an eligible technology startup or business. Um, 45% so tax credit. Forty-five percent. So that's a real, that's a real number. <laughs> it's uh, it's one of the most aggressive in North America. Um, it's it's a massive. Yes, yes, it's a huge incentive. And so, uh, just a quick commentary on that one. I see that one working. Uh, very, very well at the early stages. You have investors who, again, traditionally would put money into other things, into other capital markets or or maybe into other alternative assets or even not even alternative assets whatsoever. Uh, and they're just kind of learning about startup investing and they become maybe slightly interested in, in they hear about a company adjacently through their network um, and uh, the 45% tax credit, uh, in my experience, again, anecdotally, I've seen that uh, get those investors interested to go, oh, well, what is this whole startup thing? And, um, you know, they'll cut, they'll, they'll cut a check or two within the STSI program. They'll get their tax credit back at the end of the year. Um, and now they are, you know, they've started, started to build a portfolio. They started to understand a little bit about tech. Maybe they're doing some research. They're starting to network with people who are also making tech investments. Uh, you know, they're finding funds like ours or other angels. So it, it's, a, it's a whole ecosystem that, that, like, you start to just get people's attention at the early stage. I appreciate that. Well, that really, that, uh, that, it does exactly what it's supposed to do. Like, it, yeah. It encourages curiosity. Like, well, wait, did you, did you just say 45%? Yeah. How long, how long has that been in place? Uh, that started in 2017 uh, or 18, actually. I should okay, check. Okay, so not that, so fairly recent. So the last kind of handful of years. Yeah. I, you know what? I, you know what? I, I want to say it was announced in 2017 and launched in 2018. I could get fact-checked on that, though. I I've, I I started in right right uh, after I know that it was implemented, and obviously we've only been around since 2018. So I, I think that timeline makes sense. And uh, you've got three dozen investors in your in your group, uh, and then just listen to you talk. I'm assuming they range in all shapes and sizes in terms of like their backgrounds, the amount of the amount of funds they want to put in, their own experiences, whether they've exited or they're just at a point in their life where they want to participate differently in the market. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of our investors, um, they they're in that category of investor that I was talking about before, right? Maybe they've either made some angel investments or they've invested in non tech, and they just want to dip their toe in or they're interested in, in seeing kind of this economy grow. And so they're putting their money where their mouth is and they're wanting to see uh, founders here get funded um, in, in uh, high risk kind of areas that they may, again, they may want to stay in their lane, but they trust us to be able to make those investments on their behalf. Okay. And we touched on this a little bit offline, but you know, you just came off the road. So lots of networking, but how's the deal flow? Like, is there, like we talk about this, the ecosystem, it's such an elusive, you know, ecosystem, Pivot, innovation, all the buzzwords of the last two years. Uh, are activity in that precede? Like, have we got a lot of founders? Like, is there some is there some energy coming out? Because if people are looking to raise money, that means they've kind of gone down the road of going, okay, I've got something viable. I'm excited. If if you, we don't have that, it's hard to have companies for you guys for for you, groups like yourself to invest in. What's happening? Is that picking up the same as COVID kind of helped it, hurt it? What are you seeing out there in terms of just opportunities for startups to you, to support? Yeah, I'd say the this is also a function of of smaller ecosystems. Um, this is definitely more so true, I would say, in in Saskatchewan than it might be in Alberta. But um, we have like a few kind of touch points or or kind of areas of the community that we spend you know we spend a lot of time with like Cultivator and Collabs, those are the incubators in Regina and Saskatoon, respectively, uh, and with those the founders that come out of those programs. And those tend to be where a lot of the, the great founders kind of at the early stages go through to learn and, and get to meet each other and, and just start to get access to capital. Uh, and those tend to be obviously really good um, places to go for, for deal flow. There's some kind of on the fringes of those and we have to be really active to try like capture outside of the, those two um, those, those two kind of, I'd say they have a lot of like gravity, if that makes sense, like yeah, in terms no, of like pulling. Yeah. So, it, but I, what I would say is like the function, the, the thing about being a small ecosystem is you see a lot of the same people, um, doing, 
similar things or starting new companies or leaving one company to start another one. Uh, so it's a lot of the same people. So definitely it's uh, you get, you get a, you, I would call them like bursts of deal flow, at least in, more locally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you'll see like a bunch of companies kind of come through their program or a bunch of companies that maybe like attend an event and then you see a bunch of deal flow and then it's like got to work through all those to, to really understand which ones are where and which ones might be getting funding soon. Um, and, uh, in, in my experience, I, I, I feel like I, I've been, um, I, as I mentioned before, we've been getting a lot more deal flow just in the past few months from Manitoba, Alberta, and BC than, than we had like in the, in the two years prior, which is, which is awesome. And we, we, we've gotten quite a bit of deal flow prior, but I'm seeing more and more come through. Uh, and I think, uh, it's a, it's a similar thing. I'd say again, those ecosystems being five times, for example, Calgary, five times bigger than Regina, um, you know, you, you just ha you see it's less lumpy. It's more consistent for sure. Um, but, uh, there, there are, de that is definitely a part of this being a, the small ecosystem effect, I would say. Yeah, no, that makes sense. The big, the big small town effect as I always joke. Uh, any trends that you're seeing in terms of like types of, you know, are you seeing like, I'm just being random. Like, is it more health tech coming out of Calgary versus more XYZ coming out of BC? Or are you seeing any trends in terms of the types of pre-seed and seed round companies that are trying to evolve certain ideas or that are kind of merging into, into, into certain sectors? You know, actually, I think if I look at deal flow like um, as a whole, I, no, I don't, I don't think that there's like a, a one clear pattern. But again, if I go back to like this lumpiness idea, uh, like you'll see a clean tech event or summit or pitch uh, pitch event going on or, or focus, you know, and one of the incubators might focus on clean tech on a, in a cohort or whatever that looks like. Um, and I think that's a really good example. And then you see that, that batch of all of those companies kind of in terms of deal flow, uh, they all end up trying to raise capital right after that. And so that's when they're finding us or we're finding them. Uh, and, and, and investors are either like hopping onto that and sharing the deal flow or whatever that looks like. So, uh, there, there, there are concentrations around certain sectors when, whenever things happen like that, but it is lumpy for sure. No. So based on that, what you said, and there's lots of good examples and you look at some of the more mature ecosystems where there's these events that have become like the anchor for like innovation and are we, how are we doing in that department? Like you mentioned clean tech, you mentioned, you know, the two different ones, one in Saskatchewan, one in Regina or sorry, Saskatoon. Are we like, do we have enough of those going on? Because that sounds like that's a real key ingredient to this. Like if you step, pre, if you step before pre-seed, what is there? If we're drawing this big white, giant whiteboard of the chain of events, it feels like that those innovative, uh, those, those cohorts, those pitch sessions, like that feels like that is the backbone of what's setting us up. Can we use more of them or are they just, are we coming into our own around those? Uh, that's a good question. I, I'll, what I'll start with is... Um, I, I've seen definitely more and more and more, uh, I don't know how to use the word hype, I guess, uh, more, more like noisier and, and, and kind of prouder uh, uh, events that, are, that have come up in the last like two years. And I think uh, to your point earlier in terms of like being borderless, that's especially been true over the last couple of years. I've seen a lot of kind of cross-pollination and outreach between like the, these prairie provinces, especially, but even outside of the ecosystems. Um, to bring in like specific expertise or or like knowledge centers around like a, a specific um, type of technology. What I would say is is definitely happening kind of across. I'm really seeing this, and I know this a little bit better um, because I talked to all these people that are do, working on this in Regina is being focused on ag tech. Uh, I've heard that a very similar thing is happening kind of in in Alberta and 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 Man respectively Manitoba again I don't know uh, as much on the details of of the programs and the things that are kind of just starting there uh, but that's definitely one of the uh, one of the core uh, industries that I've seen being focused on across sectors and I mean like NGOs and government and um, private companies all kind of rallying behind this idea of like let's be an ag tech hub. Um, I've, I've seen a lot of work go into that and a lot of ideas and, and some money going into the, these types of things recently. So that's, that's one specific area that I think we'll see some steam, gaining some steam and traction over the next few years. Uh, but again, that's, that's early days. And, and I would definitely say that like for, for us, for example, we, uh, I've, I've mentioned before that we're very sector agnostic. I, I, 
I think um, I, I think in terms of like looking at the prairies as a whole, it, it still will, will remain fairly sector agnostic. Uh, but the uh, there, I think there will be a, a specialization, and and maybe it's ag tech, maybe clean tech. I'm not sure exactly what will kind of get traction. But there's we're 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 seeing more of it. I think we need a bit more of it. But I think not just more like maybe like one off events, but more like structured um, networks and structured way of increasing the knowledge base here is 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 exactly what we need support to those like what are back of the napkin idea phase sometimes to then help them grow and evolve their ideas and i've talked to individuals that have been through some of those programs and they're like yeah we went in thinking this was our product but we came out with something totally different but because of the experience then they're in the pitch phase and then they're talking to guys like you and it is very much a sequencing of chain and events and it it feels like in the last couple years there's more and more of those popping up Interesting to hear you say, like, yeah, if I look at deal flow, the lumpiness can often be tracked back to an event like that, where you've brought a whole bunch of companies to a certain level, and now they're all out there, kind of at that, it kind of brings them all to the same stage. It kind of normalizes them and goes, okay, now we're going to proceed, which is, which is really interesting to, to, to hear. Uh, Jonathan, one thing you've done today for me, which I really love, and that's the whole part of the show, is make this approachable. Make it really easy for people to understand it. I, you know, again, I want to get too personal, but I think you have a really interesting story, kind of your own journey of getting into kind of being the lead analyst and running this fund. And you're, you haven't been in this sector for too long. Am I correct to say that? And I don't, I don't know how, how, how much we want to tell your story, but you've got a pretty cool journey of what you took was clearly a passion in your education and parlayed this into being actively participating in this whole what's going on here and the shift in, this shift in our ecosystem in Western Canada. Yeah, I, uh, I, can, I can go into the story a little bit and... and um, if anyone's I, still with us, that means they're liking what we're talking about. So let's give them a little story the, at the end. They're, they're, yeah, I'll, okay. This is, a, this is a nice little nugget at the end for, for anyone still listening here. So I actually, I, I grew up in Regina. I'm from, I'm from here. Uh, I started at the University of Regina, but then I went to Ivy Business School, and that was where I finished my degree. Um, I, when I was in university, I was, a, I was very active with a group called Enactus. And uh, if anyone knows what that is, again, very briefly, though, here's the elev- elevator pitch for Enactus, is it's essentially a network of social entrepreneurs um, across the globe. Um, but we, we were, there's individual chapters across uh, every, you, can, you have them in each university. And there's, uh, you're, you're basically, it, it, to summarize like a, a year in, in Enactus, is you're, you're starting uh, a not-for-profit or a social enterprise or like a sole proprietorship or uh, something, but beyond that has a social, environmental, or economic impact. And you, so you're essentially, it's this network of people that are all doing this um, across the world. And then they come together at the end of the year to pitch to judges and, and show off essentially these like super high quality presentations. If, if you're bored and you really want to dive into this afterwards, you can go, if you go on YouTube and you look up like Enactus World Cup, the the quality of presentations is just next level. It's, it's incredible. And, and, and I learned a lot from storytelling and pitch crafting and, and assessing pitches by being a part of that. And also just even like the basics of starting and running a business. Um, so it was, that was kind of like my entrepreneurial adjacent program, uh, or I guess I should say experience that I had throughout university. And uh, I, I loved that. But then obviously when I was, I was going to school, I was also, I was studying finance. So I was like, well, how do I bridge these two, um, this the kind of entrepreneurial and this finance side. And uh, I remember I was, I was meeting uh, with uh, a mentor of mine when I was in my third year and he and I were brainstorming what I was going to do for my, uh, uh, for my, for my uh, final summer before I graduated. And uh, I was thinking, oh yeah, I want some experience in finance because I wanted to go into capital markets when I graduated. That was exactly what I was planning to do and probably going to stick around in Ontario and move to Toronto and um, be, be lost to uh, Saskatchewan. Maybe I'll come back <laughs> later on, but that was what I was thinking I'd do. Yep. And he, it was his idea, but he just said, well, there's this new fund that just started here. Uh, they don't really have uh, anyone that's working on um, deal sourcing and due diligence. So you should pitch to them to be their analyst. Uh, so I put together a pitch to my now boss and spoiler alert, I got the job. So I did that for a summer. Um, I loved it. It was a, it was a fantastic experience. Um, I met some a, a great people, some great founders. I learned a ton. Uh, and uh, the experience there, uh, it, essentially the, my pitch was, well, if, if I can find five deals that you wouldn't have found otherwise, and you do two of them, uh, that will have been successful. 
And uh, we ended up finding every deal that closed kind of that first tranche of capital for Fund One. And so I went back to university. They went and raised, uh, my, the president and managing partner went and raised Fund Two uh, and offered me a job to come back. And I took it. And the reason why I took it to come back to Regina and work on the Bulls was uh, it's it, the way that I think about it is obviously we're, we're a VC and that's our business, but we're also a bit of a startup too. It's not necessarily like a proven model to be a VC that only focuses on the Canadian prairies. Uh, so it's uh, we have to think of ourselves in terms of uh, bringing uh, this the the VC world and kind of if to use to use the the title of your podcast to collide it with. Uh, the prairies and what's going on here and the way that entrepreneurs think and the way that they have to build businesses here. And I think we've honestly done a really good job of that. And, and I've been really proud of what we've been able to do in the past three years. And and uh, I think we've come a long way since even our fund one days. And uh, I'm excited for the future. So that was kind of why I came back was it was really this opportunity to grow something in this small uh, ecosystem and have an impact. Like back to my Enactus days, it was like, we can do something really impactful, really fast here. And that was exactly why I chose to come back and be a part of the Bulls. So I'm, I'm pretty excited about it. That's a great story, man. I love it. And like, it's a constant conversation about brain drain and losing talent and people moving away. I'm assuming Regina has the same conversation that Calgary's been yeah. having recently. So to see you come back, and, and I, I love the Enactus story. I've heard of Enactus. I don't know much about them. I'm going to go check it out. Enactus World Cup, you got like, yeah, good naming. I'm like, okay, I'm curious. I'm going to go check that out. But now I love how you've married the two together and clearly you're passionate about it. And thanks so much for sharing just the level of clarity today and how well you articulated kind of what you see and what you're experiencing. And you guys are, you're not talking about doing the thing. You're doing the thing. So kudos, kudos to you for that. That's, a, that's awesome. Uh, hey, people want to people want to learn more. What's the best way for people to get in touch with you or to learn more about the Bulls? Yeah, absolutely. You can find me on LinkedIn, Jonathan Lepoth. Um, I, I assume my name will be in the in the yes, show it notes. Will. Yeah, yeah, it'll be <laughs> perfect. Lepoth with yeah. an I. Lepoth. Yeah, please uh, reach out on LinkedIn, and I always advise people if you're reaching out on LinkedIn, send a message with your invites, and you can say like, "Oh, I heard you on y- on Collisions YYC." Um, you know, you, you said something that I, that uh, I want to debate you on, or you you, you know we. Uh, anything just just uh you know quick quick little icebreaker on that i'd, I'd recommend that but uh yeah happy to take uh, intros there fantastic jonathan it was great chatting with you man i really enjoyed it kudos and next time you're in calgary look me up we're gonna hang out thank you tyler i'm looking forward to that